Elizabeth Hagen is a graduate of Duke Divinity School and has been a pastor for 15 years. She saw and personally experienced the isolation, loneliness, and shame that remains unspoken when Christians shy away from difficult conversations. She knew that the church could do better to foster a sense of acceptance and belonging, so she wrote Brave Church to open the door to the presence of God in difficult conversations. Hey everyone, bienvenidos a Seminary for the rest of us. I am your host, uh, as always, Sabrina Reyes-Peters, and I am happy to present, after a summer break, episode 21, which is a conversation I recorded with Elizabeth Hagen uh, back um, before her new book came out. Uh, we discussed primarily her new handbook uh, called Brave Church, and uh, we also get to know a little bit about Elizabeth and um, how she became a pastor and her vision for a church that, uh, as she puts it, is not boring. A church where we can uh, discuss hard issues with each other and um, not be afraid to bring them to the table, but know that uh, we can um, have these conversations with respect um, and we can continue to learn from each other and love our neighbors as a result. And as I note in our conversation, um, I haven't seen many churches or any churches that I come to think of it, come to think of it. I haven't experienced any con church context where um, having difficult conversations um, is done well. Uh, we either sweep those difficult topics under the rug or everybody gets up in arms because we're taking things very personally. And that's not to say that taking things personally is necessarily wrong. Um, after all, we are talking about issues that affect people. We're not necessarily, we're not talking about abstract, abstract concepts that don't affect anyone. Um, but that's enough for me before I give away the entire conversation, uh, before you even get a chance to listen. So check it out. Um, check out Brave Church and let me know what you think about this area of church care and pastoral care. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, so we're going to be discussing uh, your book, which is coming out June 1st, I think. Correct. Um, called Brave Church. But first, I wanted to ask you, um, so we get to know you a little bit, uh, what's something enjoyable or fun that you've done recently? Well, I'm a little bit tired today, but last night was really fun. Um, it was a big, uh, I know, moving into the normal after COVID activity for our family because my daughter, who's four, was in a dance recital in a real theater and it was mask and distance and all that. But like, um, you know, she'd been taking dance for a, a while at, you know, all the public events and all the things had been canceled. And she had the cutest little like 
green and um, pink tutu outfit, a tap dance to the lollipop song. Um, lollipop, lollipop. Anyway, it was really cute. And, and also seeing all the other kids and just the joy of this recital and everyone being able to dance. And um, it was in um, downtown Savannah, where we're Georgia, where we're living right now. And Savannah is a gorgeous city this time of year. So it was a pretty perfect evening. Last that night. sounds so fun. I'm yeah. so glad you got to do that. <laughs> um, so, okay. You've written a little book called Brave Church. Um, do, do you have like an elevator speech uh, version of this book that you, ha- that you give people? I'm curious what it is. I should really work on that. Thank you. For- <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. That's up. Um, I, I wrote this book because I had written a book previously called Birth, Finding Grace Through Infertility about my experience of being both a pastor and walking through a journey of infertility and longing to be a parent and finding that to be really difficult. And I wrote Brave Church because I wanted to create a tool for congregations to have hard conversations. Um, when I was marketing my other book, birth, I found that there were so many churches who did not want me to talk about infertility. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is so weird because <laughs> the statistics say that like they're one in eight couples um, in any, you know, space in America are dealing with this issue. And I began to do these workshops where I learned that there was um, so many griefs going on in the church that nobody was talking about, not just infertility. And I, as a pastor, wanted to give a tool, uh, a way to help leaders and to help people begin to take the first step of having um, tough conversations. I mean, after the year that we've all had and everything that we've been through in this country and how frustrated so many people are with the division and lack of communication, um, Brave Church is hopefully a gift to just to take the first step and begin to talk about things that are important um, in each of our lives. Yeah, um, I think it's a really, a really great little handbook, if I can use the word, just like a launching pad. Yeah, as I was looking through it, I just thought this was, this is going to be a really neat tool for um, folks in different churches who use it. Um, Because same as you, I didn't experience a very healthy model of um, vulnerability and um, conflict. Um, and you kind of talk about that a little bit in your introduction. Um, but I'm wondering if there's a specific moment where you realized, where you realized this need and, um, how that and anything else, uh, was driving you to go to seminary and become a pastor. Well, that you could, we could talk about my whole childhood. And just like, <laughs> I'm sure we could. <laughs> um, because I grew up in, in a church tradition where we were really pretty on the outside and we worked really hard to be pretty on the outside. I mean, we dre- I mean, I can remember when I went to college and I, d- I wore pants to church for the first time and I thought I was a terrible person. That's how pretty we were in my church growing up. Dresses and the bows and the tights. Anyway, um, but I remember as a teenager in particular, you know, being more observant to the church culture that I was in and seeing things like somebody going to prison and then like we wouldn't talk about it or someone in the youth group um, 
having an eating disorder and going away for treatment and we wouldn't talk about it. or a youth minister that would just disappear and we didn't understand if about abuse that could have happened or what was going on, um, why he had to leave so abruptly. And it always just sort of made me curious as to if why, if we said we were like the family of God and that we were all in community and that everybody mattered or we belonged here, that we would be so secretive or so um, shut down on all these things that are just so important and, and we're going on. And, you know, I grew up in a church tradition where women were not ordained, but I think I got the fire to be a pastor when I was young. I uh, was, I think the first time I spoke that was like sermon-ish was maybe I was 13. I had gone on some youth trip and it was the tradition that the youth would then have some sort of sharing night or whatever. And none of the boys who were supposed to be the leaders would volunteer to speak. And so I remember being like a seventh grader giving this talk about how transformational this, whatever we went to was and feeling like so empowered by it. Like I had a little note. I remember it was a yellow note card and I was saying things in a public place that I hadn't even said at home, but it just felt like this was my zone somehow. And I remember, um, I continued to do this when the boys didn't want to talk. Um, for many years and someone coming up to me from this church saying, well, you know what, if you were a boy, <laughs> you would be a really great pastor. And I'm like, well, I, I like, why are you even telling me this? Like, this yeah. help me at all. Um, but it wasn't until I was a senior in college and saw a Baptist church in Birmingham, Alabama, of all places, the deep South that had a female minister who was wow. leading unapologetically of this very diverse and open-minded congregation um, that I really took this whole idea of actually being a pastor seriously. And um, soon after that went to seminary. And um, I remember the first day of orientation that I was at Duke Divinity School, I felt a real strong sense of like knowing that I was there to learn to preach and to pastor, which I have to tell you, put me at odds with many members of my, my family, because it, how, how could I, how could I lead? Cause that's just not what women did. And I, I think if you're a woman in a leadership position and you've had to fight for your place just to lead and speak and to encourage other people, I think that experience creates in your heart, a real sensitivity to those who are on the margins for whatever reason that you want to find ways to do whatever you can to bring their voices to the forefront and to help them feel less alone because you, because I know what that feels like. Yeah, <laughs> to, absolutely. To be rejected by, for something that I could never change um, about myself. So. Yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing. Um, and it kind of leads to my next question. So uh, grew up, I grew up in evangelical setting. Um, every pastor I had uh, was a male pastor. And I found that in most of these church settings, um, the vulnerability norms, like what you share and what you don't share, are usually established by the leader. And in most cases, that's like the senior pastor. Um, so if the pastor is setting an example of being vulnerable and sharing, uh, 
most of the other folks will uh, follow the pastor's lead, but this isn't a very common thing. <laughs> like I, no, I still don't see this. No. Um, <laughs> so I'm curious to think what, uh, what you think drives this kind of like cultural avoidance of vulnerability and like sensitive topics. Well, um, I want to echo what you're saying about pastors not talking about things. I, I, in the research for Brave Church, I encountered this study. It was about mental health in the church. And it's, and it said, um, it was actually done by Lifeway Resources, which is a conservative Christian um, publishing situation. So, you know, it's telling the truth that they're saying this, but it was about <laughs> health. And it said that 94% of pastors they surveyed felt like that they knew someone in their church was struggling with mental health, mental illness issues, but only 12% said that they'd ever spoken about it um, publicly. And I remember right. the day I, I read that and I was just, I had this, all these feelings of anger <laughs> and, <laughs> and grief to think, you know, this is really terrible. No wonder we're in such a bad shape because like you're saying, the leaders really, we do take our cues from the leaders. And as leaders begin to voice uh, their concerns, talk about their real life, that they don't have it all figured out. I, I think the patriarchy kind of mentality is, there's so much fear behind it, right? Because if the cards begin to fall, then <laughs> it all goes away, <laughs> you know? But I think if, uh, you know, I love Brene Brown, you know, the vulnerability, authenticity queen of the world and the social work realm. Um, you know, I think if you lead with your vulnerability, that that's a gift that can never be taken from you because it's not untrue. You know, when you show up telling the truth, um, knowing that many times it's, you're not professing to have all the answers. You're not professing to never make mistakes, but you're just being honest. Like, people are hungry for that. And, and I think it's the thing for me personally, when I encounter leaders that are honest and vulnerable, I feel much more willing to be myself around them. And I feel like I belong, um, that I'm not so weird because I had a bad day and I ate Cheetos in my bed, you know, like, cause it happens. Yeah. <laughs> right. We all do like silly things. Um, or we have coping mechanisms, you know, because life is hard. Um, and we sometimes need to talk about that. Um, and that, you know, mental health has been a part of my own life and struggle. And when I, um, went through infertility that, um, that was a really painful part of my life. Um, you know, depression was something that I was dealing with and, and just to be able to talk about that and to say it out loud, I mean, I've had people come up to me and say, I can't believe you use the word Zoloft from the moment, you know, like talking about medication. I mean, it, it's not a bad thing. Um, some of us have medical problems and need medical solutions, you know, and, um, That's right. right. Um, so have you read Jesus and John Wayne? It's on my list. It okay. Okay, because uh, the question about vulnerability uh, made me think about um, kind of the historical narrative uh, that Kristen Dumay, I think her name is, kind of weaves like this uh, picture of uh, masculine authority that's like yeah. that is like super authoritarian and like you don't really you don't really share things. So I thought it was interesting that you mentioned uh, how the patriarchy 
uh, kind of affects um, or influences uh, different folks um, and they're afraid it's somehow to be vulnerable. It's true. And I think that uh, I grew up in a culture that was very clear on man and woman roles, um, men and women's roles in the home and in the church. And this whole idea of men being the head of the household, like sometimes that's just language I think that people throw out and they don't really abide by it or understand it. And sometimes it's really very serious. Like dad gets the last vote on whether or not you wear this dress to prom or if we move or we go on vacation, you know? And I, I see that as being very toxic. And I write about that when I'm talking about domestic violence and how our theology in the church is so shaped by this idea of if we don't have women in leadership roles and we preach this idea of men never make mistakes or supreme authorities, you know, even if it's not overt, if we're just, it's implied and how everybody talks about their marriages, it really is a recipe for hiding abuse and yeah. it's, it's toxic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in Brave Church, uh, you kind of contrast the idea of safe spaces uh, with brave spaces. Um, and if I picked up on it correctly, um, safe spaces denote a context of commonalities. So it's a place where someone could feel safe among folks with a similar backgrounds and ideas and so forth. But brave spaces is a context where differing ideas can flow with a set of ground rules. Correct. And I was wondering if you could uh, talk about these ground rules in the context um, of a faith community and what their goals are? Well, you know, I think um, safe, a, a church in its formation is designed to be safe. Like, yeah, not necessarily that it is, but in theory, right. it's supposed to be, right? Like that we're people who come together with common ideas and values that we believe similar things. We've made the choice to be a community and we feel like, that we're not going to, we feel comfort. We feel comfort. I think that's the word when we're together. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think we get so obsessed with this idea of safe space, like that it has to always be safe. And, and, uh, but that brave space invites us into a deeper relationship, because I think when you're just stuck in a place of comfort, not that we don't need comfort and we don't need safety. I mean, there are so many experiences in my life where I've needed to like retreat to my safe space when I've had a difficult experience of people who know and love me well and I can say all the things and I don't feel judged or shaped um, but brave is really an invitation to deeper relationship uh, with those we're in community with because um, I, I write about my encounter with this research that came out of New York University and it was two social justice educators who found that conversations around social justice and particular racism, they were not, the needle was not being moved on any of these conversations. And it was because the students were so used to being in their, you know, particular safe spaces. And so they came up with these brave space rules and I read them and I was like, da, 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 this is perfect for the church, you know, like, why can't we talk, use this in a, in a faith context? I'll just give you um, one example, um, one, you know, a common rule in like a safe community is that we respect each other. Um, seems simple enough, mm -hmm. but a brave, um, a brave space group uh, in my church, a 
uh, a brave church group would take that one step further in their intentions of being together, that they would say, you know what, we are going to respect each other, but we're going to also acknowledge that respect for you is not going to look like respect for me. And that our, our backgrounds and our experiences bring us to this moment with different needs. And even um, if I think that I'm doing the right thing, you know, a brave space uh, will um, help us own our intentions and our impact. <laughs> that even when we thought we were being respectful, maybe we're not. And we'll talk about that. And I, I think uh, moving from this sort of safety idea of like agreeing to disagree uh, and let's just not take things so personally to, a, to an idea of, of that we're gonna own our, our impact, we're gonna own our space, we're gonna not attack in such a way that we're gonna really listen to each other and call out one another with permission when we're uh, hitting a place of discomfort. Um, it can produce some really incredible um, conversations. And I, I tried this at my own congregation while I was writing because I was like, well, this sounds all nice, you know, but what if it doesn't work? <laughs> Test it. Yeah. And so we took a summer and this is what we did with each other. And it was really beautiful because I heard things and stories come out of members of my church that I had never heard before about their own experiences, say of racism or of domestic violence. I didn't know that domestic violence was such an issue that had uh, affected so many women in my parish. And what I began to see is that our life together began to change. I mean, you know, not in some dramatic, like we're suddenly a different church, but the subtle brave steps led us to begin to do things like celebrating Domestic Violence Awareness Month and putting posters in the bathroom and talking about statistics and helplines and educating one another about the signs and how to welcome those who may have come out of abusive relationships. You know, it, it was really cool uh, to see it happen and to know that open-hearted people uh, who are interested in being more brave, it, it, can, it can be really beautiful what comes next. Yeah, uh, vulnerability is definitely a brave thing. Um, and when you combine it with like respect, respect for others and kindness, um, it could be a really powerful, really powerful change. And, and so much education, I think, in being brave, because I think with we're in just a safe space, we just assume, right, mm -hmm. a lot of things about others. But if we're willing to be own our bias and own our discomfort and to keep learning about the experiences of other people that we thought, well, we had them figured out. This is what they, this is what they think, or this is what they do. Um, it, it's really cool. Um, I had an older member um, in the midst of this study who was talking about, he was how uncomfortable he was with pronouns and people using pronouns these days mm. and how he had learned a lot from his daughter about that. And he heard several of the other members of the group talk about how important pronouns were to them and their life and how, you know, it, it led him to talk about how he, he really wanted to begin to think about it differently and he understood it more and was going to have some new practices in his own life. But I'm not sure we would have sat around and talked about pronouns in the same way if we hadn't had this intentional, brave um, 
church group together? I would say likely not. Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's really super cool. Um, So uh, we do recognize, though, that uh, ideas and what are ideas and issues to some people are not just ideas and issues to other people because they're in a place where these ideas are working themselves out in reality, like uh, a BIPOC uh, individual who has been harmed by systemic racism um, or someone from the LGBTQ community who's been harmed by non-affirming theology. Um, And so I'm curious if there are any instances where um, you would recommend a safe space over a brave space for some people? Well, I, I don't want anyone to read brave church and think that I'm anti-safe space. Like I'm totally yeah. <laughs> safe space. Like we, we all need it. Um, I was in a workshop a couple of years ago and I was, you know, working out these ideas and someone said to me in that setting, you know, I try to be brave and I want to be more brave. And I try to enter conversations that I know are going to be difficult. Like they were, they were in that context, we're talking about their family. We all have, you know, family that's hard to enter in, you know, some difficult conversations with. Yes. (laughs) They, they, They told me they always had a plan of retreat, you know, like, okay, I'm going to go home for this night and I'm going to go to this dinner, but I'm going to go to my girlfriend's house after this. And we're going to, you know, have, have, you know, scream or <laughs> dance or, you know, whatever we need to do to like get this out of our system. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, I had people who were early readers of Bray Church who said to me, and I'm really appreciate their honesty that they said, I think it's cool what you're doing, but my church is neither safe nor brave. Oh, and interesting. I, and I thought a lot about that because I know that that's true. And I do believe that Brave Church is still for them because what I hope it's not just a tool for church leaders to begin to address the division and the discord uh, or to have a tool to just start talking. I really hope that this book um, is a tool of reconciliation that someone may be able to say, or just being seen and heard that someone who feels like their church isn't safe because they've experienced unaffirming theology or they've been um, like all the things you said about that they've experienced racism that they don't feel like they can talk about or they've been through 10 miscarriages and they're just about at their wits end like I hope that even if they can't talk about it (laughs) or start some group a brave church group to to really make everyone get into it that they could take this book and give it to a leader and say will you please just read this and know that this voice is some of the concerns that I have of being a part of this community that I don't feel safe. Would you just read this? And, and those stories I think would, um, I would be so happy to know that that happens. And that's really my hope that it it could help people um, be seen and heard. um, Because that's, that's where good things start. I know. That's like a perfect, uh, perfect lead into my next question, because I was going to ask you if you were, if you hoped uh, for people to take away like one or two things after reading your book, what those one or two things would be. And you mentioned uh, reconciliation, hope for reconciliation. Um, Did you want to expand on anything else? Well, and I, I hope that people um, experience experiences like of course I would love someone to buy and read it themselves but the real magic I think of this is if uh, people got together in a group 
it was some folks that are already in their community and just you know even if you didn't do the whole thing you did a couple of weeks together and you you covenanted to have some like brave conversations that to me that's my great hope that people will do the book uh, because like I said I did it at my church I saw how wonderful it was I mean of course it was all brave things have their rocky moments but it doesn't mean that it's not good it doesn't mean that it's not good and and I really long for that because I, I don't know about you, but I just am tired of boring church. I'm tired of church where uh, the leaders or the liturgy doesn't bring in things that are experiences that we're all talking about, that we're all concerned about, that are affecting us. And I'm really energized by the idea of the church being a place where people don't feel like they have to like leave the news or leave their own personal experience at the door, that it can be a place where they engage topics with with scripture, with tradition, with the wisdom of others in their group um, and feel a little less alone. Um, because if I think we don't talk about things, um, we're not, and we say that God is in all pain and suffering or that God cares about pain, then we're really missing out on experiences of God. Agreed. And um, my my friend who's struggling um, with domestic violence and not feeling like she can leave her situation, um, for her to think that God is any less with her or that God loves her any less, that just breaks my heart, you know? And, and I just want church to be a place where people feel the presence of God. And I think when we silence voices, that, that is not the case. I'm with you there. I am so with you there, 1,000%. So I kind of mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that Brave Church is a small workbook and or handbook, and I really like the way it's set out. You have kind of an exploration of the topics with research and with some personal narrative, and you also talk about faith communities that are doing the brave work. And you also have uh, prayers. And I think there was one prayer uh, that accompanied movement, like hand motions even. I thought that was really cool Um, uh, for groups to come together. And the questions are really thought provoking. So I hope uh, folks will uh, get curious and check it out. Um, And if they're interested, where where can folks find more of your work and connect with you? So they can find me at elizabethhagen.com. If you want to learn more about the book, elizabethhagen.com slash brave church. And um, what I'm really hoping for is that there will be some congregations that will take this brave journey with me this fall and be in my kind of cohort of launch churches that will agree to um, get a group together and do this study and so um, if that's you, if somehow I piqued your interest and you think, oh, this would be so cool in my context, I'm, I'm really looking for some folks to fill those slots. And I want to be a personal resource to the first cohort of Brave Churches uh, who do this work together and help you in any way I can. So um, I, would, I would love to hear from you on that. You can contact me through, um, through that website as well. Perfect. 
Well, uh, thank you so much. I'm happy I got a chance to sit and chat with you. Um, it's a little bit different than my usual affair, but um, pastoral care is theology and it's very important for the church. So I'm glad you could join me. Well, thank you. And, you know, I I love Twitter. If um, you can find me, Elizabeth Hagen, on Twitter. And that's how I found your podcast. So thank <laughs> Twitter for connecting me with you. Yeah. Um, but he said, you need to find, you need to find Sabrina. So, <laughs> so I'm so happy for those connections. And it's, it's fun to chat with you today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This was seminary for the rest of us. As always, Sabrina Reyes-Peters here, your host and producer. Uh, find us on the web at seminary.show. Send us an email at seminary.show at gmail.com. Uh, If you're into Twitter and Instagram, those handles are in the show notes. And last but not least, if you want to show a little extra love, go ahead and give this little podcast a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much.